This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and next to me is Peter Seberg. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? I'm fine. We are not in a virtual meeting. <laughs> we meet each other live at the Festo AI conference, and here we have one guest. Hello, David. Hello. Good morning. Nice to be here. David, introduce yourself briefly to the listeners. Who are you and who do you work for? So I'm a system architect at Fetch AI, which is a British Web3 startup um, combining blockchain technology, distributed machine learning and multi-agent systems. You had a uh, presentation a few minutes ago and you compared your platform to a kitchen. Right. Please explain why is your platform a kitchen? So um, the idea was... If you want to have a nice dish, a nice experience, have a date, what you need in the first place is a good recipe because otherwise only spaghetti and tomato sauce probably won't do it. Um, so that's the key part of things. But if you actually want to open up an Italian restaurant, um, having the recipe is one thing, but you need to do it over and over again in the same quality in an efficient way. And for this, you definitely need to have a nice industrial kitchen with all the necessary equipment with the space that you need and also to account for the different recipes that you might want to do. And that's what our platform aims to provide this kitchen environment, these tool sets that you, if you have certain recipes, that you can bring them there and execute them efficiently in a good quality. So I, th I think one or the central topic we're talking about today is decentralized AI, right? So how does this synonym work and what is the role of the cook in the de in the decentralized or not in the, in the centralized kitchen yes yeah, so you you got the uh, border of my of my metaphor right <laughs> so, um it's more a bit of having a well connected set of kitchens in the end so the kitchen here is really the platform the part that each participant in a decentralized environment has and it's like a standardized kitchen so we are sure that every kitchen has the same knives has the same environments so that like in a franchise environment every dish will be exactly the same all over the place because for the decentralized machine learning this means that your learning experience the results you get from your training can be aggregated and put together and in one place and um, not vary over all, all over the place. What is the difference to federated learning? Because this is also decentralized. Yes, and this is probably a question of definition, right? So the, as I just introduced it, how to distinguish federation from decentralization is that in federation, there is still one entity, one participant in the middle who has a little bit more control and more say in things than the others. Who is the chef cook telling everyone else how to right. do things? In decentralization, we want to get rid of this role so that everyone is at the same, has the same rights, have the same obligations, especially in industry environments, right? As soon as one company has the impression that the other company has a bit more control over things, it gets much more complicated. So the decentralization here is to really the typical um, narrative of Web3 is cut out the middleman, decentralized role and completely do it only with the participant. 
I, I understand it now when you talk about the cooperation between many different companies. Like, you know, here we're at, at Festo, provider of uh, automation equipment technologies, many uh, customers. Yeah, yeah, right. uh, I had been thinking because we have been talking about federated learning as an, as an option as well. Um, and in that case, I, I had been thinking about, as an example, let's stay here with Festo. So they do production. They have machines, equipment all around the world. And we can talk about that later as well, what that means, how to get data from different parts. That, that I was what I was thinking of. But you are now thinking of many different participants. Are they typically then, let's say, equal? Are they at the same level? Are all of them, let's say, for example, users of equipment? For that reason, they should be equal. And that for that reason, you have the idea that maybe you don't need a central um, instance. Yeah, so the, the level on which they are equal is that they should have the same problem for the same reasons and kind of if they would do it by themselves, kind of the same risks and the same challenges. In this scenario, in this industry cooperation scenario, it's um, cooperation is often made difficult by that the individual partners don't want one partner to gain most of the potential out of it. And, and that's why it just doesn't start, even though everyone would benefit. But you, in industry, you don't want to benefit, have anyone benefiting more than you. And that's the reason in this organizational environment to make sure that we have this equality. So do you invite these different automation equipment providers to your platform? Uh, how do you manage it that there are different people on this platform, different companies? Yeah, very good question. Because with all the different use cases that are out there, we are not the expert and in contact with these people with any of them because we are just a technology provider. So for example, um, with Festo, it's a good example, um, or with any machine manufacturer, it would be the machine manufacturer that we approach and lay out this example because then the machine manufacturer knows all the different customers they have and this is the and set they invite them exactly and this is the set of people of contacts that are equals and that have the same interest and that have the same problem so there is some hierarchy obviously because the machine manufacturer has their business relationships to them and invites them but then he can make sure by using our platform and taking this narrative to make to say join us on this platform right we have this use case that's val valuable for you and we can make sure you don't have to be afraid that we will exploit your data extract secrets out of your system or whatever and still with what i've um, said in the talk save lots of costs uh, compared to if everyone would have to do this separately on their own just do it once and then in combination benefit from it Yeah, I was going to ask for a very similar, maybe like the initiator, right? So you now gave us the example of a, let's say, Festo automation company initiator, which they could decide also to do like a more central model. They could say, you know, we are Festo, we have equipment as an example. So maybe you can give one or two ex other examples of other kind of You know, people, organizations who are typical initiators, uh, what is their reason maybe that they want to work with similar uh, companies or institutions? Um. So apart from maybe <laughs> industry espionage or these kind of uh, motivations, privacy is the number one motivator for not sharing data. 
And so two examples um, that we have encountered or we, where we're doing project is one is in the finance industry. And um, this is even interesting because there it's not about company or industry borders. So it might be it's a single institute, but still um, because of laws and regulations, they don't even are uh, allowed to share data between their um, individual places, between the individual institutions. So they actually own all the data, but they are not allowed to look at it at once. So they are in need of decentralized um, machine learning. Another example would be the obvious one in healthcare mm -hmm. um, environment, when you don't want to disclose patient data, but have, if you're looking for breast cancer, these typical examples where you uh, could apply machine learning, you can access a much more, uh, a much wider data set and data source when you take care of not disclosing the data, making sure of patients' privacy. You mentioned an industrial use case in your talk. Can you describe the process uh, from the starting point, then going onto the platform and then receiving the model or receiving the, the, the goals? Yes, sure. The use case was predictive maintenance. Um, so Quite we, easy use case. Exactly. <laughs> as we in Festo, everyone should uh, be familiar with yeah. it. So the problem that we see is if you start these projects, typically you will, it's a nice innovation project, you will throw it to your data scientists, they will directly get into their um, Python notebooks and start doing their things, but they have no idea of what the actual end goal is beyond the technical terms. So as I said, there might be someone interested in the revenue of it, um, how it actually translates to the costs or to the savings in your environment. They might not be aware of how to integrate the model into, into the production system, so to make sure that your predictions can be automatically used to make decisions, to how to bring this knowledge onto the machines and do something, or to the maintainer to change the system. Mm -hmm. So we have a large set of roles, and because of this, we have this roadmap, this process landscape to make sure that the um, responsible people know from the beginning if I need to define this it's not only to define a certain technical goal or to define the revenue goal it's everything you need to um, have everything in mind from the beginning from the business model to the technical descriptions and also know which kind of other roles and people you might you need to involve in the process so that not after two years you realize I've come only so far Now I would need to involve somebody else and I have now to take another half a year to convince them to join the project and so on. So that's why from our experience, it's crucial to have this roadmap in the beginning to get away all these hurdles and the potential show blockers on the road. And can you go a little bit more detail in the architecture of the platform and how does it work in the end? So basic principle obviously is decentralized architecture. So the core of it is an appliance running at each participant on their system because we don't want their data and this means it's this computer data approach. They have to provide definitely some resources also in terms of computation to for example do, do the model training on their side. So as I said in the just in the presentation we are doing this by this process first mentality, having this whole roadmap in mind around this We are creating our platform, making sure that is a clear, structured user interface going through all the steps and providing the necessary inputs mm -hmm. for the data scientists, for the business stakeholder to the system. So they can select 
the data sets according to the data specification to, um, given to this project, that they can select the right machine learning models with the right parameters um, given to the specifications of this project so that every kitchen uses the same tools. And the important distinction again here to the federated approach is that this orchestration is not being given by a single participant or some central um, a system or server, but we orchestrate it using the blockchain. So we have the, an orchestrated smart contract which re registers all the participants and then, for example, does the selection of who whose turn is it now, gets back the result, it's hashed, it's stored, for example, on an IPFS system to be completely decentralized. So we are obviously for the privacy so we are not storing data but only updated model weights of for example the neural networks and um, each single contribution and the change to the system is recorded in the smart contract and the nice thing here is nobody can cheat nobody can claim that for example my training actually was better than it was so in a decentralized environment one problem for example is as you can't know are there training on real data Or are they training on fake data? Just mm -hmm. for example, to get in the revenue of, of contributing. So we have a voting mechanism in place that just kind of uses this reputation-based mechanism. Just by contributing once, it doesn't mean anything. Everyone else will have to check this um, contribution, see if it's valuable to them. And by this, by voting, and these votes will also be recorded on the blockchain, mm -hmm. you get the confidence towards certain developments of the model. And in the end, those that are voted most valuable, most accurate by all participants will be used for aggregation mm -hmm. and, and also can be used for making or for participation in the revenue stream later on. And there's one project lead, right? The company who established a project. Yes. Yeah. There's always some initiator. And typically that's the one that has the interest of training the model. And the other participants are mostly the ones having the data and that are interested in the outcome of the model. And there's a revenue stream for, for the participants, right? Yes, it can be. Okay, it can be. That's important. Because exactly. when, when I'm a machine building company and I sell the model to my customer and then the, the other customers get the revenue for, for training the model, that won't fit, right? Um, depends on how you see it. So there, the, again, the good thing is here we have the platform for doing different kinds of incentivation. So one option would be, and that's what we started with, just taking the contributions um, from the participants, evaluating that voting, and then giving back a direct reward based on this short-term um, evaluation so that they are motivated to share their data. But as we realized in the end, it still doesn't spend the whole end-to-end -end experience between starting this thing and actually having it to production and go live and providing revenue streams. And so we integrated this also in the platform with the nice option that instead of maybe rewarding individual contributions atomically to say you can be part of the revenue stream, you won't get anything yet for your data. But later on, if we provide this model as a prediction, as a service online with our platform, All the, for example, if you have a small usage fee for every single call to the prediction model, this will be managed by another smart contract on the blockchain. So it makes sure that it takes care of the money flow like an escrow and then participates this money based on the contribution that is apparent, transparently recorded in the other smart contracts towards the contributors. 
most of it going to the model owner to the um, offering uh, to the owner of the prediction service but parts of it depending on the initial negotiations and so on um, to the contributors and this might be an more interesting motivation to say you're not only on short-term rewarded for your data but also be participated in the revenue stream. so there could be uses of for example automation equipment doesn't matter for example mm -hmm. we see the festo logo here all the time mm -hmm. uh, but it could be like that that you know it's not initiated typically like centrally but let's say because they many times exist in the market like you know organizations of certain equipment of cars or whatever and if i understand correctly so they could come together and say we the users of equipment xyz it doesn't matter absolutely you know, we want to improve we're going to use machine learning we're going to do it decentralized and the reason we want to do it is that in the end we want to have you know less cost yes. uh, less downtime etc etc and they can do it amongst each other now if that is a, a correct assumption you did talk about aggregation that i want to come back to that one more time and better understand maybe the difference between the federated learning where i've always understood that there is a central um there is this middleman and i've always understood let's stay with the idea of i have it doesn't matter a hundred or a thousand let's stick with machines around the world And my machine, I wanted to, you know, to not stand still, you know, theoretically 100%. I wanted to give 100% quality, et cetera, et cetera. Every, and everybody wants that. And maybe my machine is a little bit different from the other ones. But I understand the federated learning. It will take, like, not the data, but the algorithm comes to the data and extracts kind of the information. And there is a central piece and that learns from all the different ones. Now, that does not happen in case of the decentralized is or do you say there is somewhere there is an aggregation and i can learn from the other machines the model as well so there is definitely no clear line between the aggregation and these two um, systems because even if you say so any participant could do aggregation also of the other model weights and choose what's best for their data sets because the rates have been shared. Everybody knows about them. That's also part of the equality, right? So it's not only the project owner being able to do the aggregation, but everybody would. That's also with the voting because everybody votes for all the different training sessions. And so in a certain way, it's always central because wherever the aggregation takes place, that's for the time being, that's the place that has all this information available to him, putting it together and evaluating if it's valuable or not. But um, we are looking into, especially looking forward towards evaluating the model performance and making sure it's then fairly awarded to the contributors. We are evaluating ways to define the way that aggregation takes place so that everyone can do it. There's not the single one that does it and that you need to trust that he evaluates it the right way, but that yeah. everyone has the same rule how to evaluate aggregation. The the question, and maybe if I'm if I may, is like, because I have been involved uh, actively where, let's say, we would have data, one and a half years data, and then we were so close to putting like, you know, a model solution into and deploy it. And then we suddenly learned that, you know, the client had taken out a very structural element out of their machine and we said oh that's really bad because now we have to kind of restart you know getting the data so the point is 
um, how am I going to find out if the model that I have here locally, if I if I should already be happy with it now because this is 100%, I, I can't get more, maybe I can learn that. Or can I, I am not 100%. And what can I learn from maybe the other participants? Uh, maybe that's also some kind of contract is what I heard here from you then maybe or? Um, I guess what you would do or could do is then create your own project, your own experiment, asking or inviting all the existing ones. Mm. And then you can control some of these rules, guidelines for your project that it might be trained slightly different, it might be aggregated or evaluated slightly different so that you can make use of the existing data sets in the way that you need. Okay. So because I mean, it's always an information theoretical question if you completely, if you don't know information or, or block it away, then there's no way you get information out of it. So there will always be some kind of information flow necessary. When we look into machine building companies and, uh, for example, with Festo or Siemens or ABB, I don't know, when they have an offering to this machine building companies, they want one face to the customer. Now there's a platform called Fetch AI. And is it possible to brand it or to implement this platform in, in the software application world of Festo or Siemens or I don't know, that the customer is one face to the customer, it's still Siemens, it's still ABB, it's still Festo, a backoff or whatever, so that there's no not a bad feeling about, oh, once again, a new application we have to use. And these these uh, these um, shady Web3 companies. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's, that's an absolutely important, crucial question in the industry. And the answer is absolutely yes. So our platform can be hosted completely on-premise. It can be kind of an open ec economic system, um, but you can also completely restrict it just to your customers, have an own network for your customers for the interaction, depending on your on your likings, on your requirements, on, on the confidentiality of things. So we are not insisting of everything doing it obviously on Fetch AI, because we're happy if the technology is working and we can um, support the customers in, in, in making it work, providing the kitchen. We didn't talk too much about the, the blockchain. I haven't been too strongly involved myself, and, and that's why the question comes as well. I mean, of course, there's always this, in the meantime, not sure it's positive, more negative currency slash blockchain relationship, which I'm not sure if it's more negative or more positive. But uh, in how far should then potential users be let's say, supporters or interested in blockchain? Or do you say, well, they don't, they're not going to be involved in it anyway. But then, I mean, there is. I mean, as part of your offer, you mentioned the fact that there is a blockchain for, I may assume, secure communication plus more. Uh, so, so do they need to, you know, involve themselves with the blockchain and they, they need to become a supporter for the blockchain? Because those people who are maybe not then will say, oh, That's not my thing. Yeah, important question. And this really is a challenge to all the companies working in the DLT space because it definitely has, for, for good reasons, bad reputations, um, bad sides to it. So short answer again is no. We try to hide it away from you, but we will definitely tell you why it's there and what's the benefits of it. Because some, I couldn't uh, claim to provide this full decentralized orchestration and data sovereignty and equality without explaining we are doing it differently than others. How would you trust me? So 
I'll always show it and I'll always explain it, but you don't need to do anything of it. You can integrate, if you're a modern, innovative uh, company, you can integrate it in your own wallets if you have these, but um, we're definitely providing the platform to build um, your traditional systems like IAM and role management around it. That's what we call Web 2.5, where we help you, your existing structure, to translate it to the Web 3 structure behind it, but you don't need to know. Is that the, the lacking point five? What is the, what is the lacking, I, th I guess, in a positive sense? There are certain elements which you decide to not make available between the 2.5 and the 3.0 because they're, I don't know, because they are complex or... It's more not, of not making them available, but they are not available from the other side. The number one thing here is identity. So short uh, look out to web3 is it's about this full decentralization no platforms no central um, entities anywhere at all this also means we don't have all these single sign-on giants as google azure and so on which are very helpful in practice and for company managements and so on but in order to be full web3 every company would have to have their own decentralized identity so that you can connect it directly to the blockchain, to the wallets of things. So currently there is no connection between the blockchain and the company. And there are several reasons, mostly financial and regulation-wise, why this is not an easy thing. And this will take quite some years until we get the full regulated connection there. And that's why we need to go 2.5 because just the environment is not fit, is not ready for 3.0. You mentioned banking and the healthcare industry. Do you want to enter this heavy metal industrial sector with the solution now? Um, you mean yes, heavy metal like in manufacturing? Uh, heavy metal or? automation, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're talking to Festo, for example. And as you might have recently heard also with other automotive suppliers <laughs> that we're going public uh, um, collaborations that are definitely… It's in the near of uh, Festo, I think, this big <laughs> automotive yeah, supply. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> Where are we here today? <laughs> yeah, in the area of Stuttgart. Yeah, in the area of Stuttgart, yeah. yeah, Ludwigsburg is yeah. not too far yeah, from yeah, here, right? Yeah. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, that's that's one of the key aspects to this um, Bosch Fed Foundation, which we um, which we founded. Yeah, David, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you to have me here. Thank you. Have a good day.